children may be released to Children's Church. And as they go, I want you to do something for me. I want you to picture in your mind a missionary. Just envision a missionary. Just your standard, typical, what does a missionary look like missionary. Do you have an image in your mind? Is he or she wearing like a safari vest? Have a machete in their hand to cut through the jungle to get to these tribes? See, one of the basic premises for what we're going to study today is that Christians, you are all missionaries. Uh, There's not a question of, will I become a missionary or will I be a regular Christian? It's how will my missionary assignment look? What will God send me to do? Where will God send me to do it? Uh, We're all ambassadors for Christ. We all have the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. So just as a basic premise before we can even begin today, we need to all be on that same page. We're all missionaries who are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, when you hear that, I wonder how many of you somewhere, some compartment of your brain are thinking, I can't even find time to mow my yard. And now this kid's telling me that I have to be a missionary and I need to see that all the nations of the world have the gospel. I can't even figure out the mess in my own house, much less go and take on this epic task of making disciples of all the world. I have troubles now that require all of my attention. See, I wonder if we hear things like the Great Commission. I'm always talking about it. You know, our, our three, the three factors of our identity. We are supposed to be loving God, loving people, and making disciples. I wonder if some of us just have a low level of guilt that follows us because we know we're not doing enough. That we feel like we're not doing all that we should. We see the video of people over in Honduras and we feel like, if I were really a Christian, I'd be in Honduras. If I were really a Christian, I would be in Africa. Well, I hope that today, we're going to talk about our strategy today. Um, I hope that today will completely eradicate any sense of false guilt that uh, Penny Crusade and missions might bring up. Because I know, you know, any fundraiser, not everybody is at a point in their life when they can give a lot of funds, even if it is the most worthy cause in the universe. So is that something to feel guilty about? Today, I hope we gain some clarity on that. So real quick recap of last week. If you're here last week, we started Penny Crusade. We talked about the fact that Christians have the most powerful and effective weapon against darkness and evil that the world has ever seen. When you see things like the Coney 2012 video and the headlines from around the world of all the darkness and evil, all the crimes against humanity, all the poverty, all the disease, all the terrible things that are going on, there's lots of things that can be done to help, but the gospel trumps them all in effectiveness because the gospel changes hearts. The gospel of Jesus Christ can actually change an entire person, not just uh, the way money flows in an economy. It can actually change people to not be greedy. We talked about that last week, so I'm not going to re-preach that sermon this week. But today I want to talk about our strategy. What do you need to be doing? This is just going to be very practical and very plain. Um, 
what do we need to be doing about this? So to prepare for today, I, I've, I've read a, skimmed a fair number of books on the subject, and all it produced in me was confusion because everybody has different, you know, five steps to get engaged in missions. Basically, there's no clean, neat formula. There's a billion different ways because there's a billion different people. So what I have today is a product of basically rereading through the New Testament and pulling out everything I saw about how regular Christians are encouraged to be a part of the Great Commission and figure out where the most emphasis is placed. And I kind of had just the top two, the top two most important things to keep in mind as you, as real people, seek to be obedient to the Great Commission. So that's where we're headed. Everybody excited? Anybody excited? All right. It's rainy. People are sleepy. Let's pray, and then we will get into it. Just two points to the sermon today. You guys lucked out. Let's pray. Father, you are God. You are sovereign and supreme, and you are the one true God, and you are worthy of worship from everyone in this room and everyone of every tribe, tongue, and nation around the world. Lord, we confess before you that uh, we are all guilty of worshiping lesser gods and ignoring you with a great majority of our time and our energy and our resources and our money. But Lord, we come to you today uh, to look at the Great Commission, not as people worthy of being a part of it, but as sinners who are unworthy, but who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who you are allowing to take part in this glorious mission. So I just, I pray for miraculous things. I pray that you would work in our hearts to plant deep within us a taste for your glory, a desire to worship you, an urgency to make sure people know about Jesus. Lord, I cannot make those things happen, but you can. And I know that many of us have a lot of heavy concerns on our hearts and our minds. And I pray that those heavy concerns would not be distractions from our mission, but that they would become expressions of our mission. Lord, please help us. Please help me to explain your word clearly. Please help us all to understand it, to receive it, to respond to it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, and there's, or if there's one near you, grab one. I want you to follow along with me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And as you're flipping there, one more quick word about the guilt. You know, anytime you hear a sermon on prayer or giving or things like the Great Commission, we can tend to feel guilt. And there's two voices that will be competing in your minds. One will say, you are lazy, you are distracted, you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Shame on you. And you'll feel kind of low and you'll wish you were different, but it won't lead to any change. It won't lead to hope. You'll just feel kind of bad and you'll seek a distraction from it. That's probably the voice of our accuser. We have an enemy who is the accuser. He looks for every opportunity to accuse God's people. Now there's another voice that might come in and might convict you of sin in these areas and might very clearly reveal to you areas that you need to change. 
areas where you're spending your money that are worshiping false gods, where you need to redivert that to worshiping the one true God. It, this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings clarity, it brings conviction, and it brings change. The accuser brings confusion and just plain feeling bad with no change. You see the two differences? Because I'm hoping for change. I'm hoping that, that we'll be stirred, that something that we can do more, do better, do differently. But I don't want you to walk out of here feeling beat down. So is everybody with me on that point? Okay. So here's the big two points for this sermon. This is the result of, of me studying the whole New Testament, trying to figure out what are the two main things I should share with you guys this week. Okay? The two big ideas. One, work where you are. And two, work from where you are. These are the two biggest ideas that emerged as I looked through to see what regular everyday Christians should be doing. Work where you are and work from where you are. Okay? So, have you ever, do you guys ever watch the old Mission Impossible TV show? Or any of the new Mission Impossible movies? I know none of our people own TVs, and every time I try to mention a movie, nobody has a clue. I thought maybe at least if we talked about the old series, you know how they would receive their mission, and it would be some sort of a tape that would self-destruct after so many seconds? No? Come on. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Don't you wish that God would do that for you, that you'd get in your car in the morning, and there would be a tape? Some kind of special thing would pop up and God would say, okay, Scott Gregg, I just happened to see you. You're wearing orange. You sit down. Your mission today, should you choose to accept it, is one clear-cut mission. Here's your objectives. Tape's going to self-destruct. And you know what to do. And you rearrange your life to do it. Wouldn't that be nice if God did that for us? Well, you probably saw this coming, but he did. And it's very clear. It might surprise you how clear and how right in front of your face it is. So uh, as an expression of honor for the reading of God's word, if you'll stand with me, and we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 17. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church, a group of Christians in Corinth. And he says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called as a slave of Christ, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And we're grateful that we have God's word that we can study this morning. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So here, Paul is writing to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. If you know anything about this church, the Corinthian church, they had a lot of problems. 
Um, they had a lot of immorality that they were dealing with, a lot of pagan mess that they were trying to sort out. Paul was writing to them, explaining things to them, teaching them the gospel, what Jesus taught about practical, everyday matters. So here he says a couple of things. He talks about people who were from a Jewish background when they became Christians and people who were of a Gentile, a non-Jewish background when they became Christians. And he says, if you were Jewish, keep those traditions, be a Christian. If you were not, don't feel like you got to become Jewish. Just follow Christ. And then he talks about slaves and freedmen, non-slaves. If you were a slave when you, were, when you became a Christian, don't feel like you got to get out of your slavery to follow Christ. Do it there within your slavery. If you're a freedman when you're called to be a Christian, don't feel like you have to do some big change something about that. Follow Christ where you are. So he says three times in three different ways what he says here in verse 17. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. One of the cruelest things that we do in our society, we do to graduating seniors from high school. And we tell them, you know, you've known this bubble your whole life, school, home, sports. Now we're going to kick you out and you have to make a huge decision about the direction of your life. You've got to figure out what do you want to do for a vocation? Where do you want to go to school? How are you supposed to know? See, I don't want you to feel that way when we talk about missions. Like, you've got to make disciples of all the world. Go out there and get it done. See, God's way is start where you are. Work where you are. You want to know your assignment? Do you want to know your assignment? Your specific individual assignment in God's great epic mission of the globe. I can tell you exactly what it is. It's your life right now. Where you are right now, the people you're around right now. That is your assignment. Your missionaries. Those people under your roof, that is your assignment. Those people you work with, that is your assignment. Charlotte, North Carolina, that is your assignment. That is your calling. So say you are, uh, you are a disabled family man. Is your assignment to go to Africa? No, probably not. Your assignment is with your kids, your grandkids, your wife. There to cultivate them, to encourage them, to pray for them. To work to see them mature in Christ. Let's say you're, you are a, a caretaker of some sort or a parent. You have young children. To fully express your faith in Christ and to be a serious, serious, mission-minded Christian, do you need to go to Africa? No, you have an assignment right in front of you. Your kids, their friends, their friends' families. Your household, your church. Let's say you're a professional, you're a working person, and you go to work nine to five every day. You spend a huge amount of time there with those people. Do you need to wriggle out of that and go somewhere else to fully express your devotion to Christ? 
No, that's your assignment right there. That's your calling. See, there's this mindset that says the true Christians, the real serious Christians, they go physically overseas to foreign lands. But what we forget is this is a foreign land. All the lands of the earth need Christians doing their work, working hard, growing as disciples and discipling people. Almost 20% of America is unreached with the gospel. Unreached means they have no access to it. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. It doesn't mean that they aren't Christians yet. It means that they will be born and they will live and they will die without having ever heard of Jesus. See, I wonder if you feel like, you know, I've mentioned, I'm going to talk more about it in a minute. We are in the very, very preliminary stages of planning a short-term trip to Africa. I'm saying Africa, maybe. It's all very up in the air right now. Right now, we're just praying about it, if you'll pray too. But I wonder if some of you feel like, now that's a true Christian endeavor. And I wonder how many of us are tempted to neglect our primary assignment here, but go be super Christians over there. I've been on short-term mission trips before when I was younger, and I remember several from our church going. And I never saw that kind of zeal in them in America that I saw there in Brazil or Jamaica or Mexico. I just want to do away with that myth. You guys are the real Christians here. You guys have real work to do here. So what is, what is it? Think about it for yourself specifically. If you're a note-taking kind of sermon listener, maybe write down in your notes right now, what is your assignment now? Who are you among now? What responsibilities has God given you now? That's your mission. That's your call. That's your assignment. Think of the places where you spend the most time. Think of the people you're with the most. Think of where you have the most influence. Because the first principle you'll see in the New Testament in terms of an average everyday Christian being obedient to the Great Commission is work where you're at. Okay? Number two. I see that rainy day, sleepy expression on some faces. You gotta wake up. Shoot me a smile or a head nod every once in a while so I know I'm not alone up here. Or even a frown and a head shake so I know you're listening. I, I want us to first focus on where we are, work where you are. That's sort of uh, phase one or stage one. Stage two is kind of like becoming an adult. You, you continue to do a lot of the functions that you did as a kid. You know, you eat, you brush your teeth. But you, you step out onto another level where you have other greater responsibilities. This is sort of stage two of the everyday average Christian's role in the Great Commission. So stage two is work from where you are. So work where you are. Work on that. Some of you just need to focus on that. You know, some of you have a lot going on where you are. And you have a lot of work to do. A lot of repenting to do. A lot of um, truth-telling to do. A lot of forgiving to do. 
But as you start to get your life together here, you can start to work from where you are and look outward. So that's stage two. I want you to turn to the next book in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This idea is all over the place in the letters, in all the, the letters that are in the New Testament. But this passage sort of says it the clearest of any one passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll read verses 13 through 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 13. Paul writes again to the same church on a different occasion. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were, first, we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence might, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Real basically, here's how it works, how the gospel going forward in the Great Commission works. The gospel reaches a, a group of people. Some of those groups, some of those people within that people group receive it, believe it, are changed by it. They become Christians. So those who came with the gospel, those missionaries, then are charged with cultivating those people, maturing those people. As those people become more mature in Christ, they become disciples. They start to make disciples. It becomes a church. Not because of, of any you know, traditional things they do, but because it's a group of Christians who are making disciples. It becomes a church. Uh, in Paul's case, he would always send leadership at this point. He would send Timothy or some of these other guys you read about in the New Testament to make sure the church had leadership. The church would grow, it would mature, and then it would basically it would become a base of operations to go further. What the gospel is doing here among us isn't just about us. It's about us growing mature so that we can become a base, a base of operations to send the gospel out further, to lands beyond. I love Paul's phrase, lands beyond. He says, our hope is that as your faith increases, see, Paul brought the gospel to these people. And now these letters are him cultivating them into a church. And his hope is, That as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. Lands where other people have not yet really gone with the gospel. So stage one, work where you are. Stage two, once we get healthy and once we start to get mature, we can start looking toward lands beyond. See, Paul, as you read through the New Testament, Paul didn't expect every Christian to be traveling all the time to foreign nations. The huge bulk of what he talked to the churches about was the work there where they were. But then thrown in there, there would be tasks that the average Christians who weren't called to go were called to do. And this is where the majority of us will live. 
This is where the majority of us will do our work in terms of foreign missions. Okay, there's a couple of areas in this stage too that I just want to highlight. Three. Okay, the first one, the first area where you'll really do your work regarding foreign lands beyond kind of missions is your example. I was really surprised how many times in the letters Paul would write and he would just really praise churches just for their example to the nations, for the example of their faith. I'll read you one instance. You don't have to flip there. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, to the church at Thessalonica, he says, And you became imitators of us, the original missionaries, And of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, just who we are as individuals in a church has a ripple effect. We don't see it, we don't know it, but it does. You know, I also do the youth ministry here, and part of that is I, I try to encourage the parents when I can. Um, some of you parents are like, I hadn't heard anything out of you. Well, it's been a while since I had a chance to talk to you. We need to have another meeting, a PAC meeting, but that's another subject. But a big part of my message to parents is who you are has a far deeper impact than what you say. Think about your own parents. Do you remember much of anything specifically that they said to you? Or were you mainly impacted by who they were? Probably mainly by who they were, who they are. See, that's the first step for us to remember too. Who we are is far more important than the things we say and do in terms of foreign missions. So the question here is, if you, you know, think about the images we saw in the video. Think about Africa. If the new Christians in these frontier lands where the gospel is just reaching, if the new Christians grew to look just like you, would that be a success or would that be a failure? Are you what you would like to see reproduced in foreign lands in terms of followers of Jesus Christ? Is our church something we would like to see reproduced in lands where the gospel has not yet reached? That's the first question to, to wrestle with. So first really practical thing you can do is just work where you are and be an example. Be reproducible. Second thing is give. None of these are going to be surprising to you. Giving was a really, really common practice in the early church. All the churches would collect and they would give to make sure that the gospel was continuing to go out. So the majority didn't go, but all helped to give so that others could go. Now I'll read you one quick passage here, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 7, and 8. Paul says, the point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So in terms of giving, we're doing Penny Crusade right now. We're trying to get you to give money. Paul says the point is this. Your resources that you give, and this goes for time and energy and material things and money. The resources that you give are like seeds that you're sowing. So if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. Now, many of you know that the church parsonage is right over here, and many of you have driven by it many times. The front yard has some bald patches. I like to refer to it as a receding grass line. (laughs) I have not sowed, I've sown, sowed? I have not planted any grass up there. We've been working in the backyard. We figure if we can just you know, get one area first, then we'll work our way around. So we have done a lot of work, you know, trying to get the soil where it could have grass. You know, the, the church very graciously removed some trees so the roots wouldn't suck up all the nutrients and the shade wouldn't choke out any chance for grass. And we've, you know, my neighbor Richard came over with all his gear, Richard Russell, and helped me. And we got it all aerated and ready and planted grass. And we have grass back there now. And I'm so excited. Meredith is excited. She has prayed. She's literally prayed for grass because it was a red mud pit. And our kids, you know, would go out there and they'd come back and obviously having played in a red mud pit. So what's the difference between the front yard and the backyard? The front yard, I didn't sow any seed at all. I haven't done anything. I mow it once every two months. <laughs> but the backyard, I have. And so the backyard has grass. Front yard doesn't yet. I'm working around to it. Okay? Very simply, this is what our giving is. When you hear things like that Coney 2012 or you see images from Pakistan, Pakistan is the least reached of all the places in my research. And you think, how can there be such evil? How can there be such darkness? Well, we're not sowing any seed there. What do we expect? Christians don't pop up from nowhere. See, we have work to do. But most of you aren't going to go to Africa, to Pakistan. But there are people who God has called to go. There are people whose lives have been arranged as such that they can go. And so it falls to us to help them go. So the question here is, With your time, resources, money, where are you planting that seed? Some of us really work hard in the area of our entertainment. So we've got the big screen and we've got the surround sound and we've got the iPods and the iPads and the i-everything, the i-toilet, the i-breakfast, everything. So our entertainment is very well cultivated. It's lush, it's green, it's beautiful. 
our obedience to Christ in the Great Commission is like my front yard, barren and dry and dusty. Haven't put anything toward it. Now again, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you and compel you to give grudgingly. It says right here, God doesn't want that. See, Paul writes in a lot of his letters, he wants his church to give, not even because they necessarily need the money, but because of the fruitfulness that just giving creates in us. So I've had to restrain Tom from really aggressive fundraising tactics that he was wanting to try to use, physically violent tactics. So Tom, that doesn't work. Let go of me, Tom. It hurts. So I don't want you to walk out of here with a vague sense of guilt. Go home and turn on your nice flat screen and feel like, oh, Matt doesn't think I should have this. I don't know if you should have it or not. It's not a sin to have a good TV. I want this truth for the Holy Spirit to work that into our hearts, rearrange our priorities, and for that to result in actual change. So our example, our giving, these are two very practical things. By the way, before I get off of giving, see, this is one reason why stage one is so important. Working where you are. Working hard at your job. Being a good steward with what you have. Loving, caring for your family well. Being aware of debt, which enslaves us. Because many of us can't do stage two because we're stuck in stage one. We can't put money in the hat. Many of us can't put money in the hat. We've got debt like crazy. We're in trouble. And that's not all because of sin. It's a hard economy. I know that. But I don't want you to not put food on your table this week because I guilted you into giving to Penny Crusade. That's your first responsibility. You see the trajectory? I don't want to belabor the point, but start where you are, then work from where you are. Okay. Lastly, on this stage two idea of working from where you are, you can, by your example, you can make an impact. By your giving, you can make an impact. And by your praying, you can make an impact. And there's passages all through the New Testament where Paul prays and Paul encourages his people to pray for the gospel to speedily advance. That was a phrase in one of those passages. I really liked it. The gospel would speedily advance to these people that don't have it. There's a lot of unreached people out there. Completely unreached. They've never heard of Jesus. And unless someone gets there with the gospel, they will be born and live and die and have never heard of Jesus and have no hope. So we pray and we ask God to open doors to give us and our missionaries boldness to get in there, get into Pakistan, where it's like 96% unreached, have never heard the gospel, will not hear the gospel unless we get it in there somehow. And that's dangerous work. You'll probably die. But those are real people like you and me who are living in darkness without hope. So we pray because it's, it's miracle stuff. It's, mir- it's miraculous when the gospel goes out. So those are three things you can be working on doing now. And this is like the stage two foreign mission stuff, not a, let alone all the here stuff that we need to be working on. But it all fits into the greater picture of what God is doing across the globe. So, having said all this, I'll just wrap it up like this. Um, 
Start close to yourself. Look at who's immediately around you and work your way outward and work hard because this is your assignment. This is your calling. Now, as for, before I pray, as for this potential trip in 2014, you see, we are in a really unique position as a church. We are in a really unique position because as I look at our immediate influence, we have an immediate available influence all around the world because of our close connection with the ACGC uh, global headquarters. You know, we have the director of world outreach among us as one of us. He's not here today, so I can say whatever I want to say about you. And through him and through the ease of travel, you know, when, in Paul's day, it, would have been, it wouldn't have been a week or two-week trip if they wanted to go somewhere with the gospel. It would have been a year or two-year trip. But we can travel so much easier now, and we have such access to people who have been strategizing how to get the gospel out there and grow these churches that I think it would be disobedient to our assignment to ignore it. And Paul teaches, look at where your influence is and work hard there to, to reach outward. So I've talked with Jeff, and you know, I basically said, just if what would it look like, just your perfect local church involvement in the foreign missions work, of our denomination, what would it look like? And we talked about that. And I said, well, maybe we can work toward that as Doolin's Grove. And this, this idea for this trip in 2012 is part of that. So where we're at right now, all preliminary, all very uncertain. That's why I'm asking you right now just to pray and save money so you can go or send somebody. Um, we were talking to Russell Carl, who's uh, over... Ben told me this morning because I forgot, Europe and Africa, I think. You know, it seems like the most strategic place for us to go is a place called Burundi, Africa. Seems that way right now. We're still talking. If we were to go there, the work would probably look like helping train pastors there and going out to a couple of new rural churches that are just getting on their feet. So you've got to understand, these people, the teaching you get here is far and above what they'll get there. You know, they don't have seminaries all over the place over there. I mean, we've been blessed so much. So we go over there, just some people trained in how to, how to handle the Scripture and just try to teach them how to handle their, their Bibles. And it's huge, huge gospel work. So that might be what it'll look like. I don't know. But as we work here where we are, I really feel that we're in a place to start working from where we are. So pray with me about that, and we'll see where God takes us. Let's pray. Father, please help us to be obedient and work hard in the assignment where we find ourselves. Help us to work hard in our vocation, in our work that we do, for your glory. Help us to be all about the people around us and not all about ourselves, so that we can serve, so that we can... Show them Jesus in love. Help us to open our mouths and tell people about Jesus Christ here. And Lord, help us to see how you would have us to work from here. To reach out toward the lands beyond. To reach out toward those who have no access to the gospel. We want to be obedient. We're frail and foolish without you. 
Please guide us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.